Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters, I'm Farah Feeney. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. Given the worldwide prevalence of mental illness, we are sure to encounter a friend, a colleague or a family member struggle with mental health challenges. And we can find ourselves stuck on how to respond, what to say or know how we can help. We are fortunate to welcome back Dr. Dina Ashurian to share with us her insights on how we can support loved ones struggling with mental health challenges. Dina worked as a community pharmacist before completing her PhD in the area of mental health. She's currently a senior lecturer at the University of Western Australia, and her main research interests include finding better ways to care for mental health consumers. Dina is also an accredited instructor of the Mental Health First Aid Program, a course aimed to give us the skills to support those struggling with mental illness. Let's find out how we can do this. Welcome, Dina. It's wonderful to have you back again. Thanks. It's wonderful to be back. Thanks for having me, Farah. Last time you were here, we talked about the role of medication and how we can help patients take their medication as prescribed and improve communication between patients and health professionals. Today, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about how we can support those in our life who are struggling with mental health challenges. So let's start with what is mental health first aid and what are the main aims of this program? So first aid is the initial help given to a person who's not well, who's injured before professional medical help can be received. And similarly, mental health first aid is the initial help that's given to a person who's developing a mental health problem or they're experiencing a worsening of an existing mental health problem or they might actually be in mental health crisis. So the first aid is given until the person is connected to appropriate professional help or until their crisis resolves. Just like physical first aid, the main aims of mental health first aid are to prevent the problem from getting worse, to preserve life, and to promote recovery. If we sort of put it into context in Australia, we know that in Australia, in any 12-month period, about 20% of Australian adults are affected by a mental health problem. But only half of these people will get professional help. And the reason is mostly because there is a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding and stigma in our society. And these can often prevent people from seeking or receiving the help that they need. When we think of the mental health first aid program, it's considered an early intervention program. And early intervention in mental health is so important. People who wait a long time before getting treatment for a mental illness tend to actually have worse outcomes. Sometimes people around those with mental health problems notice things and they want to help, but they're really not sure how to do it. And they're worried that they may do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So this course, Mental Health First Aid, teaches people simple, practical first aid skills for helping someone 
who's experiencing a mental health problem. Mental health first aid courses teach you how to listen, how to respond to someone who's, who has a problem. Even if they're experiencing a crisis, you'll have the skills to help them. You'll learn how to help someone access support. Uh, they might need to uh, manage their symptoms with a professional, or they might be able to manage it themselves. And you'll be able to help them get onto this recovery journey. So in a nutshell, Back to your original question, what are the aims of the program? The aims of the program are to increase knowledge of the main groups of mental illnesses, to reduce those stigmatizing attitudes, and to increase one's confidence in supporting someone who is struggling. How do we know if someone is struggling with mental health difficulties? Yeah, that's a good question. A first aider cannot really diagnose unless you're a health professional. However, once you've done the course, you'll be very good at recognizing clusters of symptoms of the different illnesses and mental health crises. You'll be able to understand that and how to offer the initial help and how to guide a person towards getting the right treatment and the support that they need. Now, these signs and symptoms can impact the individual on many levels. It affects the person's thoughts, the way they think, how they feel. It impacts their behavior and even their physical appearance. So as a first aider, you'll be able to pick up on these signs and symptoms. I'll give you an example. Someone with depression may be slow in moving and thinking. Their speech may be slow. There can be a lack of interest in their personal hygiene and their grooming. The person could appear sad, depressed, teary. Uh, they could be anxious all the time and irritable. If you're thinking in the context of the workplace, uh, mental health problems can show up in behaviors like unplanned absences, not getting things done, loss of confidence, or even uh, in physical signs like weight loss or weight gain being tired all the time, or being run down. Unfortunately, if you don't recognize these symptoms as being symptoms of a mental illness in your friend or colleague, you might actually become judgmental mm. and judge them as being lazy or self-centered or not pulling their weight at work or having poor work ethic or just being plain incompetent. So it is easy to fall into those judgmental thoughts if you don't recognize these symptoms. Mental health is such a broad area, so it's it's not possible for us to go through all the different types of mental health challenges and say, well, these are the signs to look out for. But I guess what I'm hearing you say is that if there's a change in behaviour, if there's withdrawal, if it's interfering with the person's everyday kind of normal functioning, whether that's through work, social interactions, they could be potential signs. What are some practical steps or tips on what we should do if we suspect someone is struggling. It's important not to ignore the symptoms that you've noticed and just assume that they'll go away. Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes people just don't know how to respond when they see these symptoms and signs, but they won't go away usually on their own. In any first aid course, you'll learn an action plan as to how to help someone who's unwell. Many of your listeners, Farah, will know a common acronym used for physical first aid, um, and that's Doctors A, B, C, D. Mm -hmm. And that stands for D is for danger, R is for response, S is for send for help, 
A is airway, breathing, compressions, and defibrillator. So that's the acronym for that. And similarly, in the mental health first aid program, we have an action plan on how to help a person with a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. Its acronym is ALGE, A-L-G-E-E. I'll go through the steps, but they're not necessarily steps that need to be followed in a sequential order. The five actions of the mental health first aid action plan are, so I said ALGE, we start with A. A stands for approach the person, assess and assist with any crisis. So you would have to plan your approach. You would have to think about when's a good time to have a chat to this person. You might have to make a time to have a coffee or a lunch in a space that's private, that you can have an opportunity to, for the person to open up and speak openly about their problem. And you're assessing the person for um, any crisis that might be occurring. And on that, what would be some specific questions that we could ask so people don't shut down or get defensive? So asking open questions are always a good idea. So how are things going? If you have noticed certain signs or symptoms, you can bring that up. You can say, I've noticed you've been late to our meetings. I've noticed that you haven't been your usual self. You haven't been coming to socials that you normally loved coming to. So you can start by saying what you've noticed in the person. That's always a good start. And we sort of say their I statements, I have noticed, rather than saying that you have been late and you haven't been pulling your weight at work. Mm. So starting in that way is, is a gentle way to start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And and the next step is L for listening. Yes, that's um, a hard one. <laughs> that is a hard one. And it is a skill. Uh, effective listening is a skill. So um, L stands for listening and communicating non-judgmentally. Mm-hmm. Bearing in mind that the attitudes involved in non-judgmental listening involve acceptance, genuineness, and empathy. If the person feels that you have shown empathy, that you've listened without judgment, then they're a lot more likely to be honest and share with you what their problems are. Yeah. And that sounds quite simple in theory, but in reality, it can be quite challenging. And, you know, at the beginning I said, oh, that's a, that's a hard one because we can have a tendency to want to fix the problem rather than to really sit there with it. And sometimes that we can feel uncomfortable with that sitting and listening, but being in tune with our own discomfort may even be helpful, possibly. Yes, definitely. I think oftentimes we listen with an agenda to fix or advise or rescue the person. Yes. But really, uh, you have to listen. Let them empty their cup and just be Mm -hmm. with them. If they feel that you genuinely care, it's a lot likely that they will listen to your advice to get professional help Mm -hmm. or the support that you might um, link them with. Mm -hmm. So mental health first aid doesn't uh, give you the skills to diagnose and give treatment. We're not there to solve the problem. We're there to link them with someone who can solve the problem for them. Mm. And that then goes to the next step, which is G, um, giving support and information. Mm-hmm. And some of the important things to remember in this step is that the support that we're giving is encouraging the person to have hope that they will get better. There is hope that there is definitely something out there that can help, that they have to hang in there. Reminding the person that they actually have a real health problem, that this is common and that is real. It's a real illness. It's a diagnosable illness. And providing some practical help and offering good information, uh, information that's evidence-based. So that's the sort of support that we learn in this course to provide. Mm -hmm. 
The next step is E. That's part of the ALGE acronym. E is encouraging the person to get the appropriate professional help. Some examples of professionals are GPs, psychologists, or psychiatrists. And the final E in the action plan is E for encouraging other supports, Mm -hmm. such as family and friends. Those are really important supports in the recovery journey. Or you might suggest that they join a support group. Often being part of a support group and hearing other people that have the same problem is quite empowering and and assists in the recovery. And there's also a lot of self-help strategies that you could um, assist the person with. Mm. And knowing that acronym ALGE and to be able to know these are the specific steps of what to do can be so helpful and powerful. And, And I love that you said in one of those steps is to give hope. I think that can be a really powerful one as well because often when people get to the really extreme state of feeling very down and depressed and have suicidal thoughts, it's when they feel like they're not, there's no solution, there's no way of getting out of this that leads to suicide, unfortunately. But giving hope can be that first step of trying to reverse that in, in many instances. And I do want to touch on suicide in that if there is concerns about someone, if they're expressing anything where we're worried about that, what are some strategies to deal with that? So suicide can actually be a taboo subject in society. And often people feeling suicidal don't want to burden or worry anyone. They don't want to burden their loved ones about how they feel, so they don't discuss it. And contrary to popular belief, by asking someone about suicide, you're not putting the idea into their head. In fact, um, by asking directly, you give the person permission to tell you how they feel. People will usually be honest if they are suicidal because in most cases they don't really want to die. Instead, they want their immense pain to end. If they think that you can help, they'll probably speak honestly with you. So as a mental health first aider, again, you're taught some skills on how to communicate. If you feel the person is really expressing some dark thoughts that they have no hope left, then you would ask directly about suicide. And telling the person... And how would you word that? Is there specific ways of wording it? You have to be quite direct. Mm -hmm. Have you had thoughts of suicide? Have you had thoughts of killing yourself? Right. So those are fairly direct. It can be very uncomfortable asking those words. Yes, Yes. it can be, but it is very relieving for someone who is having a suicidal thoughts. It's a big relief for them to know that someone can help possibly, because like I said, they actually don't want to die. They just want the pain to end. And as a first aider, you tell the person that thoughts of suicide are common Mm -hmm. and they don't have to be acted on. Suicidal thoughts are just often a real plea for help and a desperate attempt to escape from the problems and that lack of hope in that moment. And that really these thoughts of suicide are often associated with a treatable mental illness, that they can be treated. And this will instill a sense of hope for the person. You should encourage the suicidal person to do most of the talking. So this is when we want them to do most of the talking. We don't want to jump in and rescue if they're able to, to talk. They need the opportunity to talk about their feelings and their reasons for wanting to die. And it's just a great relief at being able to do this. Mm. And as a first aider, you must appear confident. And that confidence comes from a place of, I know there is help. I have hope that you will get better. 
And that's where that confidence comes from. Another myth is that someone who talks about suicide isn't really serious. Some people think, oh, they're just attention seeking Mm. or um, they're really not serious. They're just saying it. But remember that talking about suicide may be a way for the person to just indicate how badly they're feeling. So important to have these conversations and not be dismissive of them. Yeah, so, so, so important. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all those great tips. And what can we do if people get defensive or they don't want to seek help? I guess you have to always be prepared for the possibility that the person may become defensive and not want your support. The best thing to do is to try and remain calm if they react in a negative way. So if they're in complete denial or if they get angry, just remain calm and try not to take it personally if they don't want to talk about it. If they choose not to talk, tell them you're available in the future and encourage them to talk to someone else that they might trust. You could also provide information for the person to take away and look at later. Mm. And if possible, touch base with them at a later time, a few days later or a few weeks later, when they're in a different headspace, they might be open to talk to you then. Yeah, because I'm imagining it might take the person by surprise because we, this is not something we often talk about when they may need time to process that conversation, that initial conversation, and it may take a few conversations before actually going through the whole algae. That's right. And that's why I said earlier that it might not happen sequentially. You might get stuck at L, you've listened, but then they're not really open to receiving G, which is the support that you're willing to give them. But that's okay. You can try again and plan your approach again at a later time and have that conversation. There's also another scenario because earlier I said only about 50% of people will seek help if Mm -hmm. they're not well. Find out why it is that they don't want help if they don't want help. Mm -hmm. Find out what the specific reasons are. The person might be concerned about finances or they might have seen a doctor that they didn't like. Mm, That's such a common one that I've come across. Yes. Yes. Or they might be worried about being hospitalized. Mm -hmm. These are real concerns. But a lot of these reasons are based on mistaken beliefs. And you as a first aider can have this conversation Um, with the person and overcome their worry by assisting them to get help and having these conversations. These are some of the things that you learn in the course as to how to direct them or how to assist them if finances is a problem Mm -hmm. or if they're worried about being put on medications or if they think medications are addictive. So these are the conversations that you will learn to have with people who don't want help. Mm -hmm. And we know that by having these conversations by talking to them about the barriers for them getting help, we actually increase help-seeking behaviors. So by having a conversation, it's a lot more likely that the person will then go and seek help. But having said that, remember that whatever state they're in, whether they want help or not, that you must respect the person's privacy and confidentiality. Unless you're concerned that they're at risk of harming themselves or others. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. So if you um, are having a conversation with them and you realize that they might have suicidal thoughts, but they're not open to seeking help. So at this time, you can seek help against their wishes because you're worried about them. Mm -hmm. So you can, through conversation again, you give them choices I'm worried about you. I, I'm, you've just shared some suicidal thoughts with me. I'm worried. I care about you. 
but these are some options for help. What, which one would you prefer? If you give choices to individuals, they're a lot more likely to act on them rather than um, you sort of taking action on your own. And, you know, even after that, sometimes people might not be open to help, in which case you can seek help against their wishes right. because you're worried that's your duty of care. Yes. Um, so you can call emergency or triple zero or the mental health crisis team to go and speak to the individual. So that's one time that you can break your confidentiality and get help, only in that case, really. Right. And how can people find out more about Mental Health First Aid? It sounds like a great program. It's really something we should all be doing. Absolutely. Just uh, It's just as important as physical first aid. Absolutely. Here in Australia, we have a dedicated website, and I assume it would be the same in a lot of countries around the world. This program actually started in Australia, but it has gone to hundreds of locations around the world. In Australia, the website is mhfa.com.au, and you can find a course near you on the course calendar on the website. Uh, or you can contact an accredited instructor on the website and invite them to directly arrange a course for your organization, for your school, or you can attend a course that's advertised locally in your area. So individuals can seek it out, but uh, that sounds like a great idea to invite uh, an instructor to come and run it for the whole organization. How brilliant would that Absolutely. be if everyone in the organization is tuned into this mental health first aid? Mm, there is a dedicated course, mental health first aid for the workplace. And really, the, this course can be life changing for so many people. We know that there is evidence that the course will improve your knowledge around mental health problems and crises. It will help reduce negative and stigmatizing attitudes that is prevalent in society. And it will improve your confidence to assist a loved one, a friend, a colleague, or really any person that yeah. is in need. Fantastic program. You know, if we're walking down the street and we see someone having cardiac arrest, they're having a heart attack, we don't just ignore and walk past because it looks too difficult. We would do something about it. And the same applies to our mental health. If we notice someone may be struggling with mental health, it may seem too difficult to address that or approach the person, but really we all need to equip ourselves with the skills through a program like this to do something about it. We can't just ignore, uh, particularly as we see the increase in the mental health challenges globally. Thank you so much, Dina, for sharing some very practical strategies and specifics on what we can do to support those who are struggling with mental health challenges and also if we want to find out more how we can access the Mental Health First Aid program. Thank you. Thanks again for having me, Farrell. Thank you also to our listeners. We are grateful for your support and you can continue to support us by sharing an episode with a friend. We can work together to overcome the challenges and stigma surrounding mental illness. You can also follow Mind and Soul Matters on social media. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, rate and review. We'd love to hear from you. And if today's episode has raised any concerns for you, please contact your local mental health service. And for our listeners in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters. Mm -hmm.